It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, you're listening to a brand new episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, where this week we're covering off the DCEU film Shazam, Fury of the Gods, plus covering off all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. We do. And today we're talking Shazam, Fury of the Gods. <laughs> I like that emphasis. Which continues the story of teenager Billy Batson, who, upon reciting the magic word Shazam, is transformed into adult hero Shazam. Funny that. (laughs) Oh, you're going to have a lot of fun in this episode, Lee. (laughs) Now Billy is fully bestowed with the powers of the gods. He and his fellow foster kids are still learning how to juggle teenage life with being superheroes when a trio of ancient gods arrive on Earth in search of the magic stolen from them. Soon, Billy and his family are thrust into a battle for their superpowers, their lives, and the fate of the world. Shazam! Fury of the Gods (laughs) is directed by David F. Sandberg, who has previously directed... Shazam and Annabelle Creation from a screenplay by Henry Gayden, who wrote Shazam. Oh, God, this is going to get old quick, isn't it? Uh, And Chris Morgan of Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw fame. And this series is based on the DC characters created by Bill Parker and Cece Beck in 1939. So Shazam has been around for quite a long time. You know what? Until I read that, I had no idea it had been around since basically World War Two, which yeah. is insane. The oldest kid around. He is. <laughs> <laughs> Shazam! Fury of the Gods stars Zachary Levi, Asher Angel, Jack Dylan Grazer, Rachel Ziegler, Lucy Liu, Helen Mirren, Adam Brody, Ross Butler, Megan Good, DJ Katrona, 
Grace Carolyn Curry and Dimon Honsu. Quite a cast of thousands there. It's a big family. It is a big family of superheroes and everyone that comes with it. Now, my first question to you, Lee. Yeah. Did you enjoy the first Shazam film? If you can cast your mind back to 2019. Mm, I didn't watch it at the time. Ah. No, I watched it quite a bit later, just right. recently. Really. Oh, just recently? Yeah, no, it wasn't my cup of tea. It didn't appeal to me. And when you watched it, did you be like, oh, wish I'd seen this in the cinema? No, I can <laughs> see the appeal for some yeah. reason personally. It just doesn't connect with me. And I think it's because it's perhaps skewered a bit younger yeah. for a superhero film. I mean, it has a lot of really exciting qualities about it. Mm. It had real 80s nostalgic kids running around saving the day kind of feel, which I enjoyed immensely. Yes, which at the time with Stranger Things was the thing that yeah. creatives were leaning into because 80s nostalgia has always been a commodity, but it kind of found a new voice yeah. at that period of time. Yeah, so that aspect of it works really well. Mm. For me, that's about the only aspect that works in these films, though. Really? Even even the sequel? Yeah. Ah. Oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about this film. So we're straight into the action mm. right off the bat with an introduction to the daughters of Atlas, who are the new villains yeah, the in big this bads. film. Mm-hmm. you got to have that hook. you got to hook the audience in right from the very beginning. And Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu are the ones to hook you in here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unconvincingly for some, it seems. Yeah. Look, I, I will declare personally again that I'm not a huge fan of the tone of these movies. Okay. Like I said, it skews a bit young for me personally. Mm. But, you know, we're not here always to talk about our personal feelings about the film. It's about critiquing it with an unbiased eye as much as we can. For sure. And there's nothing wrong with skewering it to a younger audience. I love kids' films. <laughs> Young'uns have got to have their fun too, right? That's it. And just on the tone, it's interesting you pull that out because mm. it is a way of telling a story within the genre of superheroes that isn't going to work mm. for people because it is a bit silly. Actually, it's quite silly. Mm. It takes the piss of itself, yeah. I, I guess, in, in that way. It doesn't take itself seriously. Which there's nothing wrong with because mm. superhero films don't always take themselves seriously. Look at Thor. The latest Thor movie. It's too soon. <laughs> Love and Thunder, no thanks. But because the DCEU outside of the Shazam films mm. is quite dark yeah. and drab, so it is a jarring tone when you realise that it's part of this shared universe which is about to dissolve. So I can totally understand why it's a bit like, oh, okay, th- this film feels a little out of place. But also, I guess, a breath of fresh air for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. People enjoy that. It does consistently struggle with getting the tone right, especially this sequel. Mm -hmm. One plus, I guess, is you have the same filmmakers and writers from the first one working on this one, which helps with that consistency between the two. It's got a healthy amount of exposition, yeah, which bugged me. Clunky, quite clunky. I Mm. found myself a little confused from time to time, which, you know, is no surprise to you listening. I do get a little confused sometimes, especially when you're so ingrained within a franchise and mm. they're trying to silver platter spoon feed you stuff that you've forgotten because you you saw it years ago and yeah. you're trying to connect the dots there. So I, I don't think they successfully connected as many dots as they were trying to in this one. No, and a lot of superhero flicks do rely on a healthy amount of exposition to mm. get things done. Yeah. This one is such a mix though of Greek mythology and magic and superhero lore mm. that there's a lot to follow and that goes back to that uneven tone. Mm. Although Greek mythology is not unusual in superhero films. No, you think of Wonder Woman, who is a, is she a daughter of a god? 
Yes. Greek mythology is ingrained within the DCEU mm. anyway. So it is exciting to explore that a little deeper in here, but we've seen it over and over again in, in films anyway. Wonder Woman is the daughter of Zeus. Ah, oh, that's it. Thank you for and filling that Amazon. void. Yeah. Yes, that's it. That's right. You know what, though? He's also not the greatest superhero. He's kind of shit. <laughs> he's not very good at superheroing. Yeah, for most of the films, they make him this bumbling kid who basically gets lucky. Mm. And the wizard in this one goes on about knowing he chose the wrong champion. You know, mm. there's a bit of imposter syndrome going on. Actually, there's a lot of imposter syndrome going on throughout I'm this film. I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as Aquaman. I'm not as good as Batman. Yeah. All those things. And he's not, but he's a kid. He's not. Yeah, he's like <laughs> 17 years old in this one. But the wizard is going on about knowing how he chose the wrong champion, etc., for ages. And then all of a sudden there's this shift that isn't earned and unfounded faith in him and the wizard's like giving him reassuring pep talks. And it's like, where did that come from? What has he done in this film that suddenly made you think, oh, no, hang on, I did make the right choice? I feel like the wizard in this one was the butt of a joke. Right. I don't think they knew what to do with that character because the – integrity of this wizard character who bestows the power of the gods on people. Mm. Obviously, in the first one, he gave it to a child, which is red alert, red <laughs> alert, this 14-year-old kid or however old he was at the time. But this one, I'd, we kind of lost the integrity of the wizard character because he was just running around, putting his head down in shame uh, <laughs> and trying to say things of profound nature that yeah. weren't really resonating. The thing, yeah, it didn't resonate with me and there's a lot of moments of convenience throughout this film that I think weren't earned in the story mm. you know one minute pew you've got powers one next minute pew you've got your powers back and <laughs> <laughs> that just seemed to happen a lot throughout the film it was really easy for them to lose their powers and gain it back like multiple times by literally touching a stick you know <laughs> like that simple guys <laughs> that's yeah. all it took <laughs> yeah. the climax of this film too is really prolonged so be prepared listeners for a pacey first half and then a dragging second half mm. and that comes down to the structure and the storytelling it's unfocused and even though there are some really impressive and engaging action sequences it doesn't pull you in. It's not enough to pull you in. Why do you think that is? Well, see, the the thing is, I don't agree with you. Because really? I got really swept up in how fun this movie was. I don't know mm. whether it was my frame of mind at the time. Of course, there are unforgivable things about its convoluted plot and some of the dialogue and the cliched territories and themes that it leans into about family and belonging and identity, mm. things like that. But it was so much fun. It was action-packed. Okay. And I went along for this silly ride, but I'm not going to apologise for it. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with you that it was action-packed. I mean, there, oh. like, there is a lot of action, as I said. It's, it's really hard to explain. But there also seems to be a lot of standing around watching things play out. Yeah, fair. I felt like characters were just standing around a lot. And they just made them bystanders in their own film. Do you think that's because there are so many characters? Maybe. And, and then, the share of voice of all the superheroes couldn't quite get met? Maybe. And then all of a sudden in the third act they had to hastily round it up. Mm. Another issue I had was with the villains and their motivation. I don't think that was fleshed out enough. Yeah, It's the whole show don't tell thing. Yeah, You know, Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu showed up at the very beginning, which was great. Mm-hmm. But then they never really showed us who they are. They told us a lot and yes. gave us a lot of exposition. Yeah. But it wasn't enough to make them feel like a menacing presence or for me to believe their motivation. Because they just came in hot and heavy and hard. 
and they were disgruntled and frowning a lot and, mm. and looking at people disgruntedly. But what is behind this anger? And why now? Yeah, why now? Where did you come from? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a very good question. Did the comedy land for you? Yeah, I found it quite funny. But And we'll go into this when we talk about characters and performances. I just think that the chemistry between a lot of the ensemble cast mm. was bang on. And you could tell that they were really finding their feet within the voices of their characters as well. So... Mm. Was I laughing out loud? No, but I was grinning from ear to ear and smirking. I've, I found it funny enough. Look, I will agree with you there when it comes to the chemistry between the core cast. Totally. The casting is, is spot on. Mm. And what's great about these films is it's about outsiders, isn't it? The kids bullied at school and the ones on the fringes of society who rise up and become heroes. It's aspirational. That's what people love about it. And look, I quite like the premise of the story putting kids in scenarios that aren't real but having no rules around what can happen surrounding Mm. that. Literally kids being given the power of the gods Mm. and them fumbling their way through that experience. But then you've got the giant man-child that is Zachary Levi. (laughs) That's a perfect way to describe him. (laughs) He does do a great job with acting like a teenager as an adult. Does that get old to watch though? Yeah, that's such a good point. And this goes back to one of the things I said earlier was the tone of this isn't for everyone. It's clearly not quite right for you. And it is like flogging a dead horse. Like this this guy is a bit insufferable Mm. because he's an adult man child and that can get old but I found him endearing enough and I think that again back to the the work that they do together as characters it balances out the sense of endearment with silliness Mm. I felt yeah no look you're right that it didn't land with me but I'm Mm. trying very hard here to remove my own lens and see it from a technical perspective and I think from a technical perspective the story doesn't land as well as it should. Definitely not as good as the first one. Let's talk about the characters and performances. We don't actually get a lot of Asher Angel, the kid version of Shazam in this one, do we? There's one moment towards the end where it almost felt like a script note. Oh, shit, we haven't seen Asher in a while. Let's just find (laughs) a way to bring him back for this moment of emotion. Yeah. And then we'll put Zachary back into the fold. That's fine. Yeah, Yeah. you you are right. It's a lot of Zachary Levi. Which yeah. could go either way, depending on how you feel about <laughs> That's that. right. He is a natural of that comedic timing of a kid in an adult's body, as I said, mm. if a little bit hammy about oh, it. There's so much ham. <laughs> so much ham. You could make a million ham sandwiches. <laughs> oh, now I'm hungry. <laughs> but that's what people love about these movies. They love that, as you said, silliness, goofiness. Yeah. Billy, as a character, is struggling to be a leader and hold the family together, perhaps a little bit too tightly. He's hyper-focused on that. Yeah. Because he has abandonment issues. He's a foster kid. Mm. He feels that, and he talks about this at length in the film, he's about to turn 18 and he's convinced that he will be pushed out of that family unit. What is convincing him of that, though? Because as far as I can tell, his parents, foster parents, are extremely loving. Like, this is a really yeah. unusual scenario that we see in the films, that foster parents being really wonderful and loving, because they're normally, like, terrible group home situations, aren't they? Yeah, totally. So where is that coming from? I think it's just in his own head, to be honest. Yeah, okay. When you're not a mature adult and you just go round and round with thoughts in your head and you think that's the reality when it's not, all it takes, and you learn this when you become an adult, Lee, all you need is to have <laughs> clear communication with those in your life to find out that it's actually not 
the way of it. <laughs> and I feel like you just need to, you know, grab this boy by the shoulders and say, just talk to your mum. Just talk to your dad. Find out what they're thinking and they will pull you off the edge and everything's fine, mate. So I just, I really think it's just a 17-year-old in his own head just thinking yeah. that that's the way because that's most of his history where he's gone from foster home to foster home. Clear communication. What a concept. <laughs> You just won't find it in superhero movies these no, days. No, you won't find it in any movies. Otherwise, <laughs> you'd have no movie. You'd have no conflict. Without <laughs> conflict, there's no drama. Exactly. Oh, dear. On the opposite side, we get a lot more Jack Dylan Grazer as Freddie. love. Young Freddie. Yeah. Who is a wholly more rounded character in this film and infinitely more interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. A more interesting journey to follow in this film. He's given a lot more to work with other than just the comic book mythology nerd from the first one helping his best mate find his feet with the powers of a god. Yeah. He is the guy who knows it all. He's got superpowers now. That happened at the end of the first one. But he's also juggling things that any teenager does. His first love. Mm -hmm. That's fun. And also just trying to save the day but feel that sense of purpose too. Yeah. He wants Mm. to get out from the shadow of his brother Mm -hmm. and do his own thing. That's it. Go for it, Freddy. Go for it, Freddy. He, he is probably my favourite thing about this film, yeah. other than Steve the Pen, which we do have to talk about <laughs> at some point. <laughs> we do. Steve <laughs> the, the M- Pen. The MVP of the movie. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the main villains and incredible actresses. So excited to see them in this film. Lucy Liu as Calypso, mm-hmm. Helen Mirren as Hespera. And Rachel Ziegler as Anthea. The three sisters, very largely differentiated in age. Yes. Who are the daughters of Atlas. They are quite different in age. And back to the point around communication, they do not communicate with each other. No. They've got this vendetta against how could you give the power of the gods to children and to avenge their father but they don't all seem to be on the same page in their methods and how to go about it, yeah. do they? Or what their purpose is. Or what their purpose generally is. Generally, yes. no. And Lucy Liu, I'm very disappointed to say, is incredibly stiff in this film. And that accent. It was upsetting to mm. watch. It's like she's playing what she thinks a superhero villain should do in these films instead of making it her own. And we know that she can do that. Yes. She's done villain before extremely well. Hello, Kill Bill. Kill Bill. Goodness me. And she's done Hero before a few times with Charlie's Angels to name but a few. Yeah. I just felt that this was like her trying to stuff herself into a mould of what she thinks or what the director thinks Mm. a superhero villain should be doing. Because arguably Calypso had the most interesting take on this whole thing because she was amongst the big bads, the biggest bad. Mm. And there wasn't anything particularly interesting in what she did with the material. No. I mean, she rode a dragon, which is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> but Yeah, she did that well. That's really all she has yeah. to show for it. And then you've got Helen Mirren, so exciting, completely underutilised. It's a crime to put Helen Mirren in your film and just have her go from here to there, then over there and say a few things. She was not all that menacing as a villain. Oh, I found her quite menacing. Yeah. At times, I, I do agree that she was underutilised as the powerhouse actress that she is. Goodness me, it's Helen Mirren. But in terms of character development with all three of mm. these sisters, again, it's not that you didn't see it, you heard the motivation. Mm. I didn't believe the motivation. I feel like perhaps that whether it was on the cutting room floor, it exists in the script somewhere, it just didn't make the edit. A scene or two where the three sisters are talking to each other and 
looking into earth and discovering what's happening mm. and putting that plan together, like setting that context yeah, to add that sort of gravity and drama to what their plight is. I yeah. feel like that was an ingredient that was missing. It's not like they didn't have enough time to do that. They had plenty of time. It's a long run time. How yeah. long is it? Two hours, ten minutes. There you go. <laughs> so they could have massaged some of that in and taken some other things out. A lot, a lot more of the standing around. Yeah, out. Lucy Lou standing around. Uh, what did you think of Rachel Zeigler? I was very excited to see her in this too. She's a nice yeah. character. Lovely. Also has a really complicated power that's out of step with the sisters and the mythology I think was put in there purely for the action set pieces. I didn't understand it. It's one of those plot conveniences that mm. was put in, I think, just because it's going to look cool. To explain it, well, actually, I can't really explain what her power was because it wasn't clear. She has the power of access. Cool. <laughs> which means she becomes the centre of the Earth's gravity and everything can shift around her. Okay. Which seems like more of a superhero power than a mythology power. Like, you look at... Helen Mirren could manipulate the elements. Yeah. And Lucy Liu's character, Calypso, could... Harness chaos. Harness chaos, Whisper yeah. in people's ears and make, make people them, do things, yeah. yeah. So I felt like it maybe should have been a bit more of a primordial power rather than a cool, like almost Eternals power. See, I just didn't understand the impact that her shifting shit around and flying it through the sky had to like, this is going to sound so lame, had like to the <laughs> fit to the physics of the whole thing. Like were people all ragdolls in the buildings getting thrown around <laughs> or, or is it more manipulating the space like a Doctor Strange in the MCU? That I was just unclear about that. Yeah. It was very Doctor Strange in the MCU, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, vi- definitely visually anyway, but I'm not yeah. sure about the mechanics behind it. I don't know. It just comes back down to that, you know, we don't see anything in their backstory to explain all of this a bit better. Yeah. As for the rest of the Shazamily. Shazamily. As they're called. I'm sure you rolled your eyes at <laughs> those lines, Lee. I could barely get it out. <laughs> we get more character development as much as can be squeezed in. For Mm. the rest of them, which is great. You know, one wants to go to college and have her own life. One is coming to terms with his sexuality. Which is random. I'm not really sure what the others were sort of struggling with, but they were cool too. They were cool too. (laughs) It was great to see them flying around. Yeah, the (laughs) dynamics between the family of kids is is arguably the best thing about this film. Totally. They fit really well together, as we said. Yeah, I mean, it's a family drama with capes, basically. Yeah. Mm. If you want to dumb it down. Capes with no hood. He had a hood in the first one. He did too. Mm-hmm. I always found that really, really dumb. Well, the that's, hood. it harkens back to a, a comic design. Oh, well, Black Adam is a Shazam, part of the Shazamily, I guess, in some way. Anyway, <laughs> what a fucking shit film that Where was. Where was he while this was going on? He, oh, he had said, a hood. He said he wasn't going to deal with anything outside of his... Little town. Yeah, well, now he's not going to deal with anything because it's not moving forward. (laughs) (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) Oh, Lee, let's talk about special effects, Mm. costumes and set design because from my perspective, this movie looked way better than I was expecting it to look from a CGI aesthetic perspective. Why did you have hesitations about it? I actually, even though I had so much fun and I I was a fan of the first one and, you know, I, I really enjoyed this movie, Leading into it, my expectations were on the floor, mainly around just the situation that we're in with the DCEU. It's Mm. like, well, this film means nothing now. It's not going anywhere. It's not connected with anything. But it's also being billed as the first film to kick off this new revamped DCU. See, this is where I'm just dizzy with confusion about where this Mm. fits within the puzzle that's missing many corners. 
Well, it was supposed to explain some things. It's supposed to be the first one to really set it off, but I think maybe the Flash is going to be Well, the, f- the Flash is meant to reset mm. the timeline and then we'll get Blue Beetle or some shit and then we'll go into Superman. So you think Fury of the Gods is just James Gunn and Peter Safran just wrapping things up with a little bow and going, okay, we're done with that. Yeah, but then, of course, there are mid and end credit scenes which were really freaking random, especially the end credit scene. Did you hang around? We didn't. <laughs> I didn't. We didn't see this together, uh, our friends. I got the mid credit scene. I yeah. did not hang around for the end credit scene. So you're going to have to spoil that for me off air. Okay, sure. We'll take this offline. Mid credit scene was like, yeah, but why? What's the point? Yeah. Like, why did you keep that in there? Because it just dangles something that I don't think we're ever going to reach. And the end, the end one is like, what the fuck? Like it is right. so weird. I'll find it online. I'm sure it's online somewhere. <laughs> but also the end of the film has quite a pivotal moment that I would have thought would have been an end credit scene. We're not going to spoil it, obviously. I'm trying to think what it was. It was a big cameo. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm trying to think what it was. <laughs> How could you forget? How could I forget? Because I bet you, like me, blanked out towards the end and was like, this is still going. Gosh. No, 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 no. Let me, I, <laughs> I enjoyed this one. Oh, but, but maybe I did blank out because I couldn't bloody remember. I was like, what is it? Who showed up? Yeah, that's right. What did you think of the special effects? They're fine. They were great. They're fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were good. They're good. They're yeah. good. I don't think I've seen a film recently with CGI and special effects that hasn't been decent. And when they do show up, it's really obvious because the caliber is, is so yeah. high. I mean, again, Avatar has raised the bar. So yes. everyone in Hollywood's like, ah, shit, Jim Cameron, <laughs> you bastard. Because nothing will look as good as that for years. Yeah. Because they don't have $2 billion to spend yeah. on blue people. But it does look really good. You've got dragons flying around. You've got, okay, let me tell you, mm. bloody loved the dark unicorns. Yes. I wouldn't mind having one of those. Thanks. They looked so badass and beautiful in this gothic kind of way and they eat skittles taste the rainbow oh god the product placement in this film is shameless it is it's very on the nose what's not to love about black unicorns nothing they're basically unicorns but they looked a bit demonic but not not in a gross way not gross but like very beautiful you would part the red sea for them sort of thing (laughs) you'd get out of their way you would The design of the film and the set pieces, so the mm. quite a lot of it is uh, set within the Rock of Eternity, which we saw in the first film, which was yeah. very dark and dank. It was the Wizards' Council yes. originally, a very brooding place. And now the kids have sort of turned it into their clubhouse yeah. lair, yeah. inspired by the personalities of each of the kids. There's basketball hoops attached to these revered statues. There's also a big TV screen and um, lovely, pretty, sparkly lights and beanbag chairs. Pizza boxes. <laughs> I mean, it's clearly like if you gave your teenager the loft in the house, they would turn it into some yeah. sort of like teenage cave of wonder. And, yeah. and that's what this is. Never mind. This is a very sacred place. Oh, never mind. That houses a bunch of wonders and all the secret doors, which they've stuck notes on all the doors <laughs> to say what's behind the What's tunnel. behind and which ones to avoid. You don't yeah. need to go there. Yeah. Exactly. Which is quite fun. Well, that's what one of the kids does. You were like, oh, I don't know what some of these bring into the oh. party. He's just out having an adventure and exploring all these doors. That's his journey. That's his thing. I love that for him. Happy for him. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've also got a little corner of the lair that they discover uh, Steve the Pen lives in. MVP of Shazam <laughs> Fear of the Gods is Steve the Pen. Very Harry Potter. I got Harry Potter yes. vibes from that whole set piece. 
this film gave me major Harry Potter vibes. And maybe that's why I got swept up in it because it felt nostalgic for me in a different way, not mm. necessarily the 80s, but the early noughties when I was a teenager reading and watching mm. Harry Potter films and books and such like. So Nostalgic or derivative? Oh, all right. Oh, it's about time we wrap up this episode. Shazam! <laughs> Shazam Zinger. Oh, God, did I just quote oh, that Big Bang Theory <laughs> terrible show? <laughs> Fuck. Did you not like that? No. That's an extremely popular show. Oh, well, then I'm sorry. I'm on the out and you can come for me. <laughs> you can come for me. Oh, lock me up. I can't believe I said that. All right, let's wrap up. Shazam! <laughs> Fury of the Gods. Fury of the Gods doesn't improve on the original and certainly doesn't herald a new DC era full of excitement and promise. It feels more like a leftover part of the foundation from the old rather than building a bridge to the new. It's easy entertainment, though, skewered at a younger audience. And older superhero and DC fans will get enough of a kick out of it, too. Its bloated runtime lets it down, though, when it should have had us hooked by the end. I'm giving it two popcorn kernels out of five. Yikes. Wow. Don't yikes me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, so somehow, for me, this movie rocked and I'm glad I saw it. Granted, my expectations were low, but it captured a real sense of adventure, character and heart that I wasn't expecting. With superhero movie fatigue growing across the MCU and the hot mess that is the DCEU, I was surprised yet delighted that Shazam! Fury of the Gods filled a void in this genre. Sure, the story is a little messy and it leans into cliche a few times, but it is the perfect popcorn flick that gives you permission to be a little silly and have some fun for two hours and ten minutes. Uh, I'm going to rate Shazam! Fury of the Gods 3 popcorn kernels out of five. And on that note, folks, uh, I'll be looking for a new podcast co-host because uh, Tim's brain has left him. (laughs) Tim's brain has left the building. Thank you very much. (laughs) Shazam! Fury of the Gods is in Australian cinemas from March 16th. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, Lee, let's jump into our news and trailer section of today's episode. But... We're going to kick off with the Oscars. Mm -hmm. So Popcorn Podcast celebrated movie Christmas this week with all the glitz, glamour, surprises and celebrations of the Academy Awards hosted by Jimmy Kimmel for the third time. Yeah, so Hollywood's Night of Nights at the Dolby Theatre did not disappoint with a deserving recognition of A24's Everything, Everywhere, All at Once taking out seven Oscars from an impressive 11 nominations. And it is officially now the most nominated 
animated film across the whole of awards season. That's extraordinary. Well bloody done. Before we move on, what Mm. did you think about Jimmy Kimmel's hosting? Quite textbook. Mm. Some of the jokes were really, really not great. It's played very safe. Super safe. After last year's debacle. Oh, the slap. Mm. Dear. And also they're trying to fit in all 23 categories, which is Mm. great, Mm. but it means it leaves no time for the fun in between. Do you know what? I challenged the producers of the Oscars one year and the host one year to not mention that the Oscars go on for so long, that that, <laughs> that it runs forever, that there are so many awards categories. I, I challenged them to just calling out the elephant in the room is fine, but they've been calling out the elephant in the room for 95 years now. I think they need to move. It's long. People are watching it. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe lose the male and female categories and have non-gendered categories as people want. See, look, that could be in the Academy's future. It'll be a huge shift and I welcome it, to be honest. Well, anyway, let's touch on the top categories and who took home the golden statue at the 95th Academy Awards. Well, let's kick off with the biggest award of the night because we can and we're the boss and this is our podcast. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once took home Best Picture. What an uproarous celebration for that film. It was its seventh win of the night and... It was just it was just fabulous. There was also a best supporting actor for Kei Hu Kwan, who gave the most emotional, beautiful speech. All the speeches were really lovely. They were really, really moving. What would, what did he say? Look, Mum, I've won an Oscar. Yeah. And don't give up on your dreams. It was so inspirational. Beautiful. Uh, it was such a cap off his yep. incredible award season journey and the recognition of an actor who has been in our midst since Temple of Doom back in the eighties. Yeah. And that moment at the best picture, he was reunited with Harrison Ford, yes. who who presented the award, and they had a big cuddle. He's jumping all over him and like <laughs> hugging him. Harrison Ford's probably like, <laughs> no, actually, no. He seemed to really embrace it as yeah. well, which was really gorgeous was to see. Nice. And then, of course, Michelle Yeoh won Best Actress, and this is groundbreaking too because it makes Michelle Yeoh the first woman of Asian descent to win the award. More of that, please. What a deserving. Yeah. win for her an incredible performance to it de force as they say yes and then jamie lee curtis also won for best supporting actress which is interesting isn't it yes i was really happy with her win but it was a surprise for me yeah. was it a surprise for you i thought angela bassett had it in the bag for wakanda mm, forever yeah it's interesting that jamie lee curtis is going to be known forever the breadth of of roles that she's had and the incredible performances that she's put in. Mm-hmm. And this is what she's going to be known as her Oscar win forever. It's interesting. It's one of those things and it's very Oscars. It's very Academy Awards where you have an actress or an actor or an artist who has been nominated countless times mm. and has never won. And then it's like, oh, it's their time. You think? It's their time. That's not to diminish Jamie Lee Curtis's absolutely performance not. in this film. She's absolutely incredible. I just think when you stack it up against the other mm. nominees, I wouldn't have picked her to win. See, I would have been happier if Angela Bassett had won, but I think that she fell in that basket as well. Oh, it would have been her time and she won for something like Black Panther Wakanda Forever. She is extraordinary, right? but she is had some insanely impressive performances in her career that she should have won for in the past. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Uh, Actor in a leading role was taken by Brendan Fraser for The Whale. Aren't you happy? We knew that was going to happen. I was so excited. Well, I say I knew it was going to happen, but it started to look a bit iffy when Austin Butler won the Golden Globe for Elvis and, and he was coming up 
the inside track there. Yep. Colin Farrell and the Banshees of Inner Sharon too was was a hot favourite. It was a very very tight category. They cut to Colin Farrell a lot in this telecast. <laughs> they did. Like they loved him a lot. The camera loved him. There was a bizarre moment. Sorry, going back to Jimmy Kimmel's like skip bits. Yeah. There was a bizarre moment where he took questions from people at home apparently and went up to Malala, mm. Nobel Prize winner, peace activist Malala, mm-hmm. and asked her whether Harry Styles spat on Chris Pine at the Don't Worry Darling premiere. Yeah, read the I room. thought, what the hell are you doing? And I wonder if she was in on it. I don't think she was because her reaction was a little, I just talk about peace. Yeah, and great answer Yeah, to put him in his place. It was a bizarre moment when you've got it so much so to get bizarre. through. That was the skit. Like, mm. I just found it bizarre that she was at the Oscars in the first place. <laughs> well. Is anyone asking that question? Win a Nobel Prize, get invited to the Oscars. I guess. All right. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> Must win Nobel Peace Prize. That's on this week's to-do list. Get on that. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about cinematography for a second yeah. because All Quiet on the Western Front won James Friend. Mm-hmm. We were all cheering for Mandy Walker down here. Yep, we were. An Aussie who not only was her work on Elvis Outstanding, but a win would have made her the first woman to take this category out. Mm. And it's also only the third time that a female cinematographer has ever been nominated in the Academy's 95-year history. Yeah, wake up, people. So if you want to give out legacy Oscars, (laughs) how about you do that one? How about you do that? (laughs) She would have been so deserved to win, but the work of James Friend in All Quiet and the Western Front was extraordinary. And All Quiet and the Western Front won quite a few awards throughout the evening. And I was sitting back going, hmm, what's, is there an upset coming in what some of the bigger categories? Yeah, like yeah. maybe it would have taken out Best Picture. I was thinking that. How incredible for a streamer to take out Best Picture. Again. Again. After, after Coda. Coda. Yeah, mm. that's right. Costume design as well. I just want to touch on that because Ruth Carter won her second Oscar yep. for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And it makes her the first black woman to win the same award twice. And the first was for her original incredible work on the first Black Panther. Yeah, so deserving. What a beautiful tapestry of black culture in that film represented in the costumes. Mm. So congratulations to Ruth Carter. Lots of great winners there. And if you want to know more about this year's Oscars, head over to our website, popcornpodcast.com, for all the ups and downs on our rundown of the ceremony. Now, Lee, there has been quite a bit of drama this week Mm. with Ben Affleck being quoted in The Hollywood Reporter as saying he has no interest in directing in the new DCU. Oof. Oofed. (laughs) Seven years after it was reported that Affleck would helm his own Batman flick and more recently James Gunn saying he wants to get Affleck behind the camera, the actor has now said, this is a little bit salty. It is, isn't it? (laughs) I would not direct something for the James Gunn DC. Absolutely not. I have nothing against James Gunn. Nice guy. Sure he's going to do a great job. (laughs) Backhand. Mm. I just, I can just totally imagine him saying this too. Totally. I just wouldn't want to go in and direct in the way they're doing that. I'm not interested in that. That makes me wonder what information is he privy to? Mm. I, I think he's just part of something that just is no more. And that's yeah. a hard pill to swallow. But also the one thing that really jumps out at me here, where on earth have the last seven years gone? If, I know. if that was announced seven years ago that he was going to direct a Batman oh. film. 
The pandemic has a lot to answer for. It really does. In terms of fucking with our timelines. I don't know what daytime year it is. But I think also that, you know, James Gunn's DCU is obviously going to be in his style. Yes. Which is distinctive, dark, but fun. Yeah, very mm. distinctive. And I think Ben Affleck was leaning more towards the real dark mm. Zack Snyder kind of style. Yeah. And it must kind of suck to see Robert Pattinson playing the role in a way that there's a bit more like gravitas to yes. it and Ben didn't get that chance. No, really. he didn't get that chance. Although he has said that he finally nailed the role of Bruce Wayne Batman in The Flash. He's really happy. He's only got like five, five minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, maybe he'll I do. did it. <laughs> I did it. The best five minutes of my career. <laughs> maybe he'll win the best supporting actor nod like Judy Dench won for Shakespeare in Love and she was on screen for eight minutes. Exactly. Ben Affleck has his five minutes and he'll go up and win an Oscar next year. Well, apparently it was the bad taste, the whole Justice League reshoots left in his mouth that made Mm. him not want to do another superhero film at all. The Oscar winner added, you could teach a seminar on all the reasons why this is how not to do it, ranging from production to bad decisions to horrible personal tragedy. I mean, he's not wrong there. No. Pretty tainted experience. I'd say a hot mess, but it was just a mess. <laughs> a mess. <laughs> it's just a mess. That's right. Well, on to Greener Pastures because the Nickelodeon animated <laughs> film. Pun. <laughs> pun intended. Uh, the, the Nickelodeon animated film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. I love that title. Finally revealed its voice cast this week. And boy, it's quite the lineup. Yeah. So it's going to feature Micah Abbey as Donatello, Shimon Brown Jr. as Michelangelo, Nicholas Cantu as Leonardo, and Brady Noon as Raphael. The four heroes in a half shell will be joined by by an all-star supporting cast, including Rose Byrne, John Cena, Jackie Chan, Ice Cube, Post Malone. He's doing a lot lately, actually, acting, isn't he? Yep. Paul Rudd, Maya Rudolph, and Seth Rogen. This is insane. It's quite a cast. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Now, this one releases in Australian cinemas on August 3rd. Are you a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Are you excited oh, yeah, for this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In my youth particularly, I was a huge fan. Raphael girl over here. I don't have – oh, right. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I don't have much of an affinity with the right. with the Teenage Turtles who are mutant. Uh, <laughs> I can't even get the name right. Yeah. I'm excited for this because it's animated, great cast. I guess maybe it was before my time. You youngin. <laughs> Just a little jab in there. You yeah, did not older than me. Get stuck. <laughs> Sorry. Well, what's more my time too <laughs> is the new Alien movie has begun filming in Budapest with filmmaker Feder Alvarez of Evil Dead and Don't Breathe fame behind the camera for this ninth instalment in the popular sci-fi franchise. Nine. Goodness. Mm. So little is known about the plot of this film, which has previously gone under the working title Alien Romulus, but it's expected to be about a group of young people who find themselves facing down the most horrifying life forms in the known universe on a foreign planet. So pretty standard. Standard. It's like what we've had (laughs) since 1979. Ridley Scott is involved as a producer after directing the previous installments, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, as well as the original classic Alien in 1979. Any strong feelings on this one? No. (laughs) I haven't 
loved the more recent iterations. I haven't seen Alien Covenant, but I saw Prometheus and nah. quickly moved on from right. it. Right, yeah. Mm. Well, let's move on from that. <laughs> yeah, okay, deal. <laughs> Jenna Ortega is really having a moment right now. Her breakout role in Netflix series Wednesday and most recently her return in requel sequel Scream 6 has catapulted her to household name status for sure. It has indeed. Now, her next move for total Hollywood domination is reportedly playing Lydia's daughter in Beetlejuice 2. Lydia is, of course, the character Winona Ryder played in Tim Burton's 1988 cult classic, which also starred Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Jeffrey Jordan, Catherine O'Hara, and Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice, of course. And, of course, Michael Keaton is reportedly coming back as Beetlejuice, which is freaking fantastic. And Tim Burton. Yes. 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 Brilliant. That's very important. You need those people on board. 100%. And also maybe sounds like Winona Ryder might come back. I mean, she has to. She has to. Come on. Seeing her work with Tim Burton again. You know, after Shit's Creek, I can't wait to uh. see Catherine O'Hara back in this role. She's just one of my favourite human yep. beings in general. Don't know if we'll see Alec Baldwin. He's caught up in some legal dramas at yeah. the moment. That's right. That would be a bit of a shame. That would be a shame. Yeah. What do we think of this casting of Jen Ortega? It seems really fitting, right? 11 out of 10 from my <laughs> perspective. Yeah. It's a perfect piece of casting. You have the it girl of Hollywood right now paired within a genre that she is clearly elevated in yeah. from her acting abilities. And she's got a great working relationship clearly with Tim Burton off the back of his work with her on Wednesday, the Netflix mm. series. So I'm excited. I'm very excited too. Tim, the cat is finally out of the bag. We have a working title for Tarantino's 10th and final film. And get this, <laughs> it's called The Movie Critic. Why do I suddenly feel viciously attacked by this working title? <laughs> no. <laughs> you and I both. He's coming for us all. He's <laughs> like, coming for us. This also seems very Tarantino. Like I like the, Doesn't it? the tongue-in-cheek jab. I'm feeling... Like a mic drop moment with this movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. Ten movies. Boom. Yep. And screw you all, movie critics. <laughs> <laughs> the script is written and presumably will film later this year. It's expected to center on a woman in late 70s Los Angeles. And yeah, I love that his final bow as a director will have a central female lead. Yes. Thank you very much. Because he, he writes and directs that very well. Mm. I mean, you go back to Jackie Brown, you go to Kill Bill with Uma Thurman. And the 70s, I mean, he gave us a real taste in what he's capable of with Once Upon a Time yeah. in Hollywood. So I'm excited that that's the era that he's going to mm. bow out with. Yeah. Tarantino has famously been very vocal that he will only direct 10 movies. And for those counting at home, he's technically made 10 films already, but the enigmatic filmmaker considers part one and two of Kill Bill to be one movie. Yeah, all right. Technicality. Well, he Semantics. filmed them at the same time, didn't he? He filmed them back to back, and I think from right. memory they were released six months apart. Right, yeah. Yeah. So the Pulp Fiction director reaffirmed that his next movie would be his last as recently as last year, telling CNN that I've been doing it for a long time i've been doing it for 30 years and it's time to wrap up the show what's he going to do next well i mean there's talk about a star trek film but is he just going to be writing and producing and, and not directing maybe yeah. so the, the thing is just to explain to our listener I'm, I'm sure you know you're a fan of movies and fan of this podcast i'm sure we've mentioned it before but the reason why tarantino has been so vocal about 10 and done is because he feels that 
after 10, your work is never as good. So he's trying yeah. to end on a, on a high. That's a lot of pressure though. It is a lot. It's, yeah, it's, it's done it to himself. He's putting <laughs> so much pressure on himself. And also slyly taking the piss out of other directors that have made more than 10 movies yeah. going, You've, you made your best shit. You years ago. <laughs> you passed your prime. You passed your prime. Well, your co-hosts have spent most of this week under the sea re-watching the new Little Mermaid trailer after its premiere during the Oscars ceremony. That's right. We finally got the first proper look at Disney's live-action remake of the 1989 Oscar-winning animated classic starring Halle Bailey. Oh, you always got to say Halle yeah. Berry. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to get used to that. Jonah Howard King, Melissa McCarthy, Javier Bardem, David Diggs, Jacob Tremblay, Aquafina, and Lynn Manuel Miranda. Directed by Rob Marshall of Chicago and Into the Woods fame, The Little Mermaid, of course, follows young mermaid Ariel, who makes a deal with Ursula the Sea Witch to trade her beautiful voice for human legs so she can discover the world above the water and impress a prince. Now, presumably, the story will get a more modern and feminist-facing makeover, thank goodness, for new audiences where it won't be about the sacrifices women make to impress a man. (laughs) No, it's a tad problematic, that story. Slightly (laughs) problematic. And she literally has no voice for part of the movie taking the voice of a woman. I wonder if they're actually going to do that here. But doesn't she sound incredible in the singing moments in the trailer? Got the popcorn podcast chills again. Yeah. Nailed the sound. Yep. Nailed it. They didn't mess with the song too much. Not too much, but it it has her flavour as a recording artist. Mm. Yeah, I'm so, so relieved. What else did you think of the trailer? Because we got singing Mm. and underwater action and a taste of what Melissa McCarthy in particular is bringing to the role of Ursula the Sea Witch. And Jesus, I loved it. Right. It was the cackle, right? How good does she sound and look? Yeah. That was the thing I was most nervous about. Yeah. Was how she would manifest in the iconic villainous role of Ursula. Because you don't want it to just be Melissa McCarthy doing a bit. No. You want her to disappear into the character, but also be recognisable as Melissa McCarthy's talent. I think she 100% did that. Like the way she's changed her voice. Mm. It's perfect. It is. I'm so glad we're on the same page with that one. Well, you won't have to wait for long, friends, because The Little Mermaid will be in Australian cinemas from May 25. Can't wait. And that brings us to the close of another episode of Popcorn Podcast. Friends, we covered Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and had very different opinions about it. We did. We're keen to hear your take on this sequel. Are you on Team Lee or Team <laughs> Tim? We haven't asked that question in a while. It has we? been a while. It has been a while. Shazam, Fury of the Gods is in Australian cinemas from March 16. And as always, friends, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We are now on YouTube, guys, where you will find our latest celebrity video interviews. Simply search Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single one. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.